0: Three weeks from today, we will have a time of dedication for the shoeboxes that you will provide for kids all over the world. It's one of my favorite times of year, uh, going into November and December and thinking about Christmas and Christ's love for us and what he did for us, but then also providing that shoebox and it's become a centerpiece of what we do before Thanksgiving around our family and just an exciting time for us as we think about uh, those children that we send those boxes to. and um, You know, it's one of those things that I look forward to when we enter into our eternal reward to be able to hear about the kids that we have impacted with the boxes and just all that has happened. Um, if you've never done Operation Christmas Child before, it's not very difficult at all. There is some, um, there are some flyers on the Welcome Center desk out there. If we run out, we have some more. We'd love for you to take one of those. It tells you how to do a box. We're hoping that every family, every... Uh, person that's a part of this church will do at least a box, all right? And some families can do more than one box, but if you could do a box, it would be great in order to send it overseas. They they do a great thing online now, too. If you pay online for the shipping, they ask for a small donation for the shipping. If you pay that online, they will tell you where your box goes. And it's a really cool thing. You'll get an email back and tells you that it went. That doesn't tell you, you know, it doesn't give you a picture of the child, but it'll give you um, it went to this country and it, uh, has arrived and all of those kind of things. And so it, it's just a fun thing. Now, next week, we hope to have a video for you that shows you some ins and outs of how to pack and what to pack and what not to pack, uh, just so you, you, know, you don't put anything in there you're not supposed to put in there. And uh, we're going to hear some suggestions on that from uh, a guy named Cy Robertson, all right? So if you're a Duck Dynasty fan, Uncle Cy as uh, he tried to pack a shoebox this year and did not always accomplish his task. And so we're going to look at that next week, so you can look forward to that. Take your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, all the scripture will be up on the screen today. And we're continuing a series of messages looking at who we are in Christ, uh, asking the question, who do you think you are? And every week we're filling in this blank with I am. And, And the basic conviction we have is this. That when you know who you are, you will know what you're supposed to do. When you know who you are, you'll know what you're supposed to do. And over the last few weeks, we've looked, especially in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, where Paul has told us all the things that we are in Christ, about the blessings we have in Christ, about the the love we have in Christ. And as we transitioned last week to chapter four, we said that now Paul is going to tell us what do we do because of who we are are. But as Paul gets started in the midst of that, he forgets that he's supposed to have left that section behind and he decides to remind us again who we were and who we are. When I was growing up, you know, this week um, my kids got two or three uh, Christmas preview magazines we got the Target and the Toys R Us and all those things coming to the house. Isn't that a blessing, parents? Dad, I only circled 82 things that I need this Christmas, right? When I was growing up, my favorite Christmas, I still remember it, my favorite Christmas was the Christmas that I got Transformers. Now, how many of you know what Transformers are, right? More than meets the eye was the thing. Now, Transformers were um, normal-looking vehicles that they then what? Transformed into robots that were at war with one another. I mean, what else? I mean, you're talking about for little boys, right? I had a, the leader was a semi truck. I got Optimus Prime, a semi truck that turned into this huge robot that battled the bad guys. There's nothing better than that. Well, maybe there's a lot better than that, but to a little boy, that was it. And I remember getting that and transforming and loved playing with those things. And what always intrigued me about that was this process of going from one thing to another. Now, as a society, we like that. We have TV shows all the time that are about transformation, right? Anybody ever watch uh, Biggest Loser? Not a single person. Okay, two. All right. Anybody, Extreme uh, Makeover, Home Edition, anybody ever seen that? Back several years ago, Trading Spaces or, you know, now they have House Hunters Remodelers. Have you seen that, where they remodel a house and hunt for a house? Now, here's the thing. Imagine, if you will, that on that show, so whatever show it might be, when it comes to that moment, because, you know, if it's an hour-long show, they spend like 50 minutes on the old, right? Tearing down, reworking, and they don't let you see anything till when? The very end. Now, imagine for a moment, it's that reveal scene. So it's um, Biggest Loser, and it's when they're going to step on the weight you know they're going to get their they're getting on the scale and they're going to check their weight or or it's trading spaces and they hand the keys back to each other and they go in for the reveal or it's a tie out there going move that bus okay and imagine for a moment when they moved that bus when they stepped on that scale when they traded those keys that everything was exactly like it was before wouldn't be a very good show would it Imagine on Oprah when they do the, you know, the makeovers. They lifted the curtain and the woman looked... Exa- they never makeover men, by the way, on those shows. But you look, looked exactly the same. So there was no transformation. There was no makeover. There was no biggest loser. It's all the same. Here's what Paul's going to do in this part of Ephesians. He's going to remind the people of Ephesus, that as believers in Jesus Christ, one of the traits of who we are is that we are transformed. And our lives should be different now than they were before. And I'm not talking about a couple of adjustments here or there. We're talking about a complete renovation, a complete makeover, a complete transformation of who we are. Look at chapter 4 starting there in verse 17. Therefore I say this and testify in the Lord that you, those of you that are believers in Jesus, those of you that are followers of Him, those of you that place your trust in Jesus Christ, you should no longer, you may have it one time, you probably did one time, you were like this before, but no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. Now we're Gentiles in general. But in the New Testament, when it talks about Gentiles, it means not just an ethnic race, but also those that walked apart from God, did not consider God in any way, that did not have thoughts of him. So you no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. And then it tells us what that was like. And here's what I want you to think about just for a minute. I want you to think about this talking about you. You see, sometimes we have short memories and we like to think of our life before uh, it was not that bad. You remember when uh, your grandparents used to talk about the glory days? Right? And they talk about how great it was in the glory days. And yet in the glory days, they didn't like it then either. And sometimes we have short-term memories and we think, oh, back when I was 15 or 25 or 35 or 40. That's when it was good. And if we went back to that time, we would realize it was just as messy as it is now. Sometimes in our faith, even, we have gotten so comfortable with who we are, we forget who we were. He says, This is who they were. First of all, Gentiles walk. That means how they live, that means how they operate, that's how they act. They walk in the futility of their thoughts. What does the word futility mean? Waste of time, useless. He says whatever they were thinking, whatever they thought was right was futile. It was a waste of time. It was useless. It wasn't correct. What they thought was right was wrong. What they thought was wrong was right. That you have to realize before Jesus Christ came into your life and took over, what you thought was completely useless well, that's fun, isn't it? You're wrong. How many of you like to be wrong? Yeah, that's what I thought. All right. How many of you have spouses that like to be wrong? How many of you have spouses you like to tell that they're wrong? All right. <laughs> There's a difference, right? says before you came to Christ, you were in the futility of your mind. You didn't even know how to think. You you, you thought you knew what was right. In fact, the Old Testament says there is a way in the heart of man that seems right to him, but in the end, it leads to destruction. he says that before Christ, that's who you were. Futility of your thoughts. It goes on in verse 18 to say this. They are darkened in their understanding. It's not just that it's useless information, your understanding is completely in the dark. Did anybody's lights go out the other night? Halloween night. Isn't that a great night for the lights to go out? If you're stayed on, I don't want to hear about it, all right? We had in our house, it was Halloween night. On Thursday, which meant it was a a Mother's Day out day for both of our girls. Our boys had been in school all day. Um, We had decided on Wednesday, because of the rain chances and all that was happening, we were going to have representatives at Rivergate Mall for what the city was doing. And then we were going to do, in 24 hours, we were going to decide to plan and accomplish a fall festival here at the church. And so Thursday was a, I mean, literally we walked out of here about 7.30 and it felt like it was like 2 in the morning. Now, we got home, and our 15-month-old Ava had not apparently napped very well at Mother's Day out. I don't know if you've experienced a 15-month-old lately without a nap. That is not a pleasant experience. If you add to that the fact that she had been through, we can estimate, about three or four roller coaster cycles of sugar highs and crashes. And about 8.15... It was bedtime, and as we're getting everybody corralled to go to bed, pow. now in the immediate aftermath, what was kind of funny was um, we didn't know where Ava was. I mean, we knew where she was when the lights went out, but it was dark, right? I mean, you, those of you, it was not like kind of dark, it was dark. I mean, it's storming outside, cloudy, no moon, no street lights. It was just dark dark. Susan was on her hands and knees crawling around trying to find Ava. Ava's tripping over buckets of candy in the middle of the thing and I'm looking for flashlights and you know you never know where those things are. We put them in the same spot every time and somehow they're not there when we need them and all I could think about when I was reading this passage again this morning is those moments of absolute confusion in the darkness. You know what I remember about the darkness just in general at those kind of times or in the middle of the night when you get up and you don't have any kind of light on in the house and you're trying to walk through all that. You know what? Things that used to be safe become deadly. Right? Corners of doors are suddenly dangerous. Couches become your enemy because you have no clue what you're doing or where you're going. Before Christ... We were futile in our thinking. We were darkened in our understanding. We were excluded from the life of God. Foreigners, aliens, in the wrong place at the wrong time. Outsiders. And we were ignorant. Well, isn't this piling up just good stuff you want to hear about yourself? Wrong. Darkened outcast, ignorant because of the hardness of our hearts. Here's what I think is interesting about this. I think that in part this is an allusion to the Old Testament. If you remember the Old Testament back in Exodus when Moses comes to Pharaoh and he wants the people to go, Pharaoh thinks about it and then it says, but Pharaoh did not because of the hardness of his heart. Now, none of us that have ever watched the Ten Commandments or watched any of those movies about the Egyptians think Pharaoh is a good guy. And yet, this is telling us that before Christ, that's who we were. Look at verse 19. Those people became callous, gave themselves over. It means you just brought the white flag up and said, let the world do whatever they want to do to me. Promiscuity in the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. Paul says, lest you forget who you were. You were wrong, pig-headed, ignorant, fooled, in the dark, outcast, with hard hearts, who had completely given up to the enemies of God. Now, some of you here goes, that was not me. I was a good kid. I just, you know, I grew up in church and things were all right. And I just decided one Sunday I'd just walk the aisle and everything would be all right. For some of you, it's not hard to remember that because it's pretty recent. You go, I know exactly what you're saying. That's who I was two weeks ago or two years ago. Or I don't have any illusions about what used to be. I remember. But Paul says all of us that were without Christ, no matter the level which it showed in our lives, were all in the exact same place, distant and separated from him. It doesn't matter if everybody in town knew that you were distant and separated or if you fooled everybody into thinking you weren't. We were all in the same boat. And then verse 20 starts with one of the most beautiful words in the English language or the original Greek, which is, but. That's who you were. But that is not who you are. Instead, assuming you've heard about Him, assuming you've followed Jesus, assuming that you are a follower of Jesus, you have found that the truth is in Him. And you have taken off the former way of life. You have taken off the old self. The word there literally means to strip yourself of, like clothing, to take it off, to remove it, to do away with it. But it's more than just, hey, I took it off and I put it down and I'll go pick it up later. It is you took it off and you disposed of it and got rid of it and don't want anything to do with it again. That old self that was corrupted by deceitful desires. Verse 23 goes on. And now you are being renewed in the spirit of your minds you have put on the new self the one created according to god's likeness and righteousness and purity of the truth and he says "Now that's who you were that's not who you are but it's who you were And what he is saying to us is, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your life has been rescued from the old and brought into the new. You have been transformed into a brand new creature. It is not your old self. It is completely you. And then Paul's going to do kind of a synopsis of the entire book of Ephesians for us, because when he gets through telling us in verse 24 who we are, He's going to start in verse 25 to say, then this is how you ought to act. Since, I love the way he just kind of says, I mean, I know you've already put away lying. You don't even do falsehood anymore. He's going to tell us some things to watch out for. And I, I just want you to I want you to almost create a checklist there and ask yourself the question, how are you in putting on the new self when it comes to these areas? The first one is that we speak the truth, each one to his neighbor. The the idea here is that we are truthful in our interactions with one another and the way that we talk to and about each other. Now, it covers a couple of things, but one of the main things that it covers here is gossip. Aren't you glad we don't struggle with that anymore? You know what gossip is, right? It's basically talking about another person to another person and not the person. used to be the only way you could really gossip was to find somebody else and talk to them in person. But as technology has changed, gossip has spread. So now we can talk about it on the phone, through text, on Facebook, through Twitter, We can even talk about it on Facebook and Twitter without people knowing that's what we're doing, but we're still talking about them, and other people know we're talking about them, but other people, the person that it is we're talking about may not know we're talking about them. All right? And suddenly, through posts on our wall and subtweeting and phone calls and text messages and emails and conversations, we begin to spread things that are untrue, and grievances we have about each other. And he says, don't do that. Because we're all members of one another. We're all together. This is all in this together. Why would we talk about each other? He says, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, isn't this interesting? The first thing he says when he talks about what it looks like to live as if the new person is in us, the first thing he talks about is how we use our words. It's James, the brother of Jesus, that says, we have learned to control all kinds of things in this world, and yet no one has considered how to control the tongue. You ever said something you wish you could take back? You ever said something and it's almost like you wish you could catch it coming out of your mouth? Like as it's legal, it's gone. This is not, I mean, this is, but what's interesting is that used to the only way like i said that could happen is verbally but now it's happening do you know that, that companies are now hiring profilers when they hire people that all their job is is to search your social media to see what you've said whether you protected it or not well that's going to be fun for some people coming up if you're on twitter by the way every tweet you've ever put is being put in the library of congress I hope that if our civilization dies out and somebody comes and finds us, they don't think that's who we really are, right? Speak truth to each other. So the first way, this is interesting, the first way that we show that we're new creatures is that we speak truthfully to one another. We don't gossip, we don't talk about, we don't spread falsehood, we don't spread rumors. We just talk honestly with one another in love. Second thing is we get angry. That's what it says, isn't it? Do you know that for centuries, and I I mean that literally, centuries, commentators and interpreters and people that translate the Bible have tried to come up with a way that this doesn't say the words be angry. But you know what it says in the original Greek? Be angry. Do you realize that sometimes as Christians we need to get angry? Right? I mean, there are things that happen that we should be angry about. No one should be excited about the poor being taken advantage of, as scripture tells us to hate. About God's name being blasphemed. No one should be excited about marriages breaking up on a record level, about children being abused, about killings that happen much more frequently than they should no should be happy about that he says get angry about it in fact the old testament tells us and in scripture reminds us that god is a god of emotion and sometimes god gets angry and to be honest when i look at my life god has every right to get angry at me on a regular basis it is his grace and his mercy that prevents that anger most of the time but the question is not how do you whether or not you're going to get angry the question is how do you handle it when you do be angry and yet do not sin you see for the problem for most of us is when we get angry the first thing we do is we take it out on somebody else we let it go or we bury it deep inside Instead of working through it, praying through it, asking God, what would you have me to do to settle this? In fact, the second part of verse 26 reminds us that there is a time element to this. And it says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Now, people often give that as advice to couples. But the point here is, if you let anger fester, it turns into more dangerous things. Anger with time is called bitterness. And there is no place for bitterness in the life of a believer. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And don't give the devil an opportunity to be constantly on the watch for ways that you're allowing your life to be used by the enemy. So if you're a new creation, He says, make sure you're speaking truth to one another. Make sure that you are angry about the things God would be angry about. But don't sin in that. Don't take that out. Don't let the sun, don't let it develop. Don't let it turn into bitterness. Don't let it grow in your life. And please, Make sure that the devil doesn't get an opportunity to use that in your life. Then verse 28 says this. The thief must no longer steal. Instead, he must do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. It says if you are a follower of Jesus Christ actually trying to live for him, that it means that you won't in the process take it easy. You won't be lazy. You will be continually productive in your life. Now this is what I think is interesting. It says you must do honest work with your own hands. Why? To buy a bigger house? Is that what it says? Get better cars? Make sure kids got all 82 things in that wish list magazine circled. Hypothetically. Is that what it says? What does it say? To share with anyone that may have need. You mean that there may be somebody that might profit off of my hard work? Yep. You mean that I might go out there and work hard and do everything I can and somebody else might benefit? If God calls you, yeah. That's not me talking, is it? I mean, it's kind of plain right there. Paul says you go work hard so that if other people get in need. You can show the love of Christ to them by the way that you're able to give. You know that is so foreign to the concept of our culture. But it says that that is how we live. That shows a newness in our life. We are trying to do honest work so that somebody else that has a need. And This is not the time for us to talk about what's genuine need. We don't need to determine that at this moment. We just need to work in our lives to be able to help people understand the love of Christ through the way that we can give out of what God blesses us with because of the diligent work that we have done. That's not getting any easier, all right? Verse 29. No foul. The word there actually means rotten. It was used of wood that had rotted. It was used of food that had rotted. You ever had some food rot in your house? Don't you love it in the summertime when you realize you forgot to clean out the refrigerator until the day after the trash ran that week? You clean it out and you go put it in that garbage and you think, oh, this is going to be fun come three or four days from now. And for the rest of the week, you just avoid that little area, right? He says, don't let any rotten language come from your mouth. What does he mean by that? Well, it does mean in their culture profanity. What the culture kind of deems as profanity, don't that let that just be a part of your natural language. Don't let that be a native tongue. But it means more than that. It means also complaint and criticism, things that are rotten sounding, things that just don't sound good coming out of your mouth that just feel wrong. That Sometimes it's that stuff that you get a little bit of a perverse pleasure from leaving your mouth and going towards someone else. It says, but only use words that are good for building up someone in need. So it gives grace to those who hear. Do you notice a general theme here? Where's our life supposed to be directed when we're new? Is it about us or is it about... Those in need. Look at verse 30 and following. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, there are all kinds of discussions about that I believe that the best understanding of that is to follow what it says immediately after that the the Holy Spirit is the one that sealed us I think it means what he's come before if you are somebody that is not speaking truthfully that is using gossip if you're somebody that is not working hard you're taking advantage of people if you're somebody that is speaking with foul language rotten language that that is grieving the Holy Spirit and I think that it's telling us after that is also if your life is filled with bitterness and anger and wrath and shouting and slander malice but that's grieving the holy spirit that's not the same as blaspheming the holy spirit it's not the same as testing the holy spirit or trying the spirit of god but it means here grieving here literally means when you become disappointed in someone that you love you ever had someone you love do something that just completely disappointed you and the hurt that comes from that says don't do that to the Holy Spirit, live in a way that shows the newness of your life. Here's how he ends, verse thirty-two. And this is the the positive part of it: be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. This is what Paul's saying: don't forget who you were. Because when we forget who we were, we sometimes bring the traits of who we were into our new life. But instead, your life ought to be filled with grace and compassion and forgiveness for those in need, for your brothers and sisters in Christ. So that means when you speak, speak words of gentleness and speak words of building up. If you have an issue with someone, speak directly to them. Don't speak about them. Don't speak around them, but speak to them. Work hard so that in your labor you may gain things that might be able to use to show the love of God to those who are without. Don't let anything come out of your mouth that isn't good for building people up and helping people out. And learn to forgive other people. One of the most powerful images of forgiveness and our desire and our need to forgive others in Scripture comes from a parable Jesus told. Most of you know it or have heard it where there's a guy that owes a little bit of money, Another guy owes a little bit of money. First guy goes to his guy, the, the master, and he owes quite a bit of money. And the master says, I need you to pay it. And he says, I can't pay it. And the guy says, I'm going to put you in debtor's prison. He said, please don't put me in prison. Please don't put me in prison. I can't pay it. My family won't survive. And he begs and he begs and he begs. And finally the master says what? Okay. You don't have any debt. You can go. And that guy goes, and he's got a guy that owes him a little bit of money, and he says, I need the money. And he says, I can't give it to you. He says, well, I'm going to have to put you in jail. And he says, no, I can't. And he begs and he begs and he begs and he begs. And the guy says, I don't care. You're going away. And the original master comes to him and demands it again and says, how can you not forgive when you've been forgiven? Paul looks at him and says, your life ought to be characterized by a constant forgiving when other people wrong you. And a love and compassion that comes from Christ. So here's the question this morning. We're filled in that blank with the phrase, I am transformed. But does that speak to who you are? I'm not talking about slight alterations in your life daily life I'm talking about a major transformation of who you are in Christ has that happened for you have you seen that change have you experienced that change I read this week there's an article in Christianity Today about a a commentator on the news Uh, it's a democratic commentator for the Fox News uh, channel Kirsten Powers And she talks says that seven years ago, if you would have told her that she would be a believing Christian, she would have told you you were ridiculous, nuts. And she says she remembers she moved to New York City, and and one of the things that happened is she started dating this guy, and one of the things on her list of things she would not want in a guy is somebody that was religious, but it said it just happened, we talked, we got, and she said it just became that thing I overlooked. He went to church, I just overlooked it one day he said to her, hey, I'd like for you to go to church with me. And she said, I really don't want to go. Well, it's important to me. Could you just go once? And so she went once and she said, I sat there and thought this is kind of crazy. She grew up in Episcopal church and it went to a church in New York City where they were pray, playing loud instruments and singing songs she'd never heard. She thought, "What? I don't even understand what's going on here. And said it was all there until the preacher got up and started to preach. And as he started to preach, things started getting really confusing for her because she liked what he was saying. And she said, I started finding myself wanting to go back just to hear that message. But I kept saying, if he would just quit talking about Jesus, he wouldn't ruin the message. Because I thought he was, she said, I thought it was great, except at the end he'd always bring it back to Jesus. Like, just leave that part off, it'll be good. And she says one time, she began to think more and more about these things. And one time she was on a trip to Thailand. And she said, literally, as she was laying in bed that night she had a vision that Jesus came to her and said it's time and she said I'm the kind of person that doesn't even believe that stuff happens went back to New York she said on the phone call before we got there my boyfriend broke up with me which I thought was great because now I got to go to this church and find out what's going on and she went to this church she talked to another guy I said get in a bible study." because I don't do bible studies that's what crazy people do I don't do that but she went one time and she says I walked out And as I walked out of that Bible study, everything changed in a moment. What was dark was now light. What was dull was now vibrant. It all changed. And she said, the hound of heaven tracked me down whether I wanted it or not. Have you been transformed or did you just say something and fill out a card in order to say that I'm a part of something let your life indifferent. different. Let's pray.